I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Seth. How's it going? It's going great. Great to be with you. And I'm going to jump right into it. Oh, gosh. Okay. We're going. I have a very important question. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to relive your senior year of high school all over again? Or skip it entirely? (laughs) So it would have never happened? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, first off, I like this direct, assertive Seth. It's a good look for you. I, oh gosh, this is hard. I mean, my senior year was fine. It wasn't particularly bad. (laughs) I don't, I, I feel like if I'd skip it, that would mean that I'd be, like, regretting parts of it. And there are things that I'd want to change, but I don't, I don't, like, I don't want to regret it. So I think because of that, I'd relive it again and maybe do some stuff different. Yeah, that's, that was my reasoning. I think I'd probably relive it because I'm smarter now, hopefully. A little bit. I could relive it and make some changes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's an interesting question. Is there anything that you're willing to share that you want to go back and change? I don't know. We used to be like... We used to be real jerks at basketball games. We won. <laughs> we won the sportsmanship award my senior year, not because we were very good at sportsmanship, but because we were the most improved. They were just like, "Well, at least it was better than the year before." <laughs> so, like, might go back and so redo this was some the, of that. This was in the fans. This was in yeah. the stands. Yeah, this fans, is from the stands. You were, and, and our our court was set up like. A lot like college basketball court time where like the student section is like immediately behind the net. So you could so like okay. they had to look at you. So we like we would be like going like insane and like yelling like oh, mean gosh. stuff. Like I I do remember in college once us going to a, a basketball game and us heckling one of the other players from the other team who looked like John Stamos. Yeah, we just like kept calling him Uncle Jesse the entire game. But then he lit up the Messiah basketball team. Like he had like 35 points just on fire. We ended up like rooting for Uncle Jesse, I think, by the end of it. But I can imagine that you in your high school days might have been a little more aggressive in your heckling. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We were real mean. We were real mean to both. The other team and like the refs. Yeah, I mean, we met each other pretty soon after our senior year of high school, but I wonder if we knew each other in our senior years of high school if we would have been friends. I'd like to think yes, yeah. but honestly, I don't know. I don't know either. I was a <laughs> but, pretty big dork. 
I mean, I still am. I was like, I don't know. I was tier two. You know, there's like the elite kids. That's tier one. I was tier two. <laughs> I think we just had one tier because we had like. Oh yeah, you didn't. Have... I graduated with twenty seven other people. Yeah, you only have one school, tier. So, yeah. Anyways, I think we need to move into the scripture before we get too caught up in our glory days. So, why don't I read this passage for us? This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. Therefore, having laid aside falsehood, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals must steal no longer. Instead, he must labor, doing good with his own hands, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. You must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of one in need, that it would give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You must put away all bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, and slanderous talk, indeed all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and live in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Well, honestly, I do have some memories coming back from around the same time about this passage. But before we get into those, why'd you go with the NET, the New English Translation, this time? Okay, I went with the NET Bible because our listeners can't see this, but they, so they're going to have to trust me. But it does a great job of, of bolding sections in this that are quotes from other parts of Scripture, which I think can be helpful. And it also has a massive section of notes and commentary about this text that they also can't see so they're gonna to have to trust me on that but i i think it's helpful to just to look at the net bible every once in a while to even just skim some of these massive notes and just to see like what's going on in the mind of the translators like how are they thinking about this why are they making the interpretive decisions that they are because I think sometimes that that gets lost, like translation seems almost like magic. Like they lay out in the preface of the of the version, like what their translation philosophy is. And then nobody ever reads that. We're just like, okay, I kind of right. get it. And then we move on. So at least here, I think like it's helpful, if, especially if you have the net, like access to the net Bible and it's freely available online, like to see how they're thinking. So I wanted to re remind our, listeners about the net bible that they can they can get a glimpse into that what did you notice or we can do like what were you reminded about whatever you want to do yeah. first for me it's the same answer to both questions like Got what it. stood out to yeah. me was kind of some of the ways that this passage has been interpreted to me so the one thing that stands out do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger was like if you go to bed angry, you're doing it wrong. Like you've yeah. got to, 
you can't sleep until you figure it out and you fix it. And it was especially like a guidance. It was especially guidance for like relationships and things like that, especially marriages. And having been married now for almost five years, there are times where you need to go to bed. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it just I don't know. I I get it. You know, people might say, "Oh, five years of marriage compared to the Word of God," but <laughs> I'm just just speaking from experience here, which. Part of the Wesleyan quadrilateral is significant in this conversation. <laughs> Anyways, similarly with letting no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, uh, was often just just talking about swearing, too. Mm-hmm. But then the same church ladies who would give us teenagers crap about, you know, saying words that they didn't want us to say, would then just go right around and, you know, talk crap about... <laughs> other people in the church or their neighbors. I'm like, I feel like there's a lot of avenues for some hypocrisy in in how these <laughs> passages have been applied, at least in my experience. But then to, for all of it to end with these directives to be kind to one another, to be compassionate and forgiving, just as God in Christ forgave us, and being imitators of God and to live in love, Again, they're saying, just as Christ also loved us. It is a beautiful passage, and there is a lot of good here. It's hard for me to set aside the baggage that comes to mind when I read this text. It's interesting you would say that, because the same thing happens to me, but for a different section. The one that I remember is, the one who steals must steal no longer. Instead, he must labor doing good with his own hands so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Like the way that people use that to kind of cajole others to like, to be productive for the economy. Like, Oh, they need to get a job. Like they're they're just sitting on their butt. I've been there too. For sure. Yeah. The way they use this is like to clobber people to like force them into labor conditions that like are exploitative for people. Right. So it's interesting to me, like this short little section the way that we've used it, or at least we've heard it in the past, like ways that are just super, un- seem to be really unhelpful. Like, like a, even as like a form of almost like bullying. Is there anything else you noticed? Nothing, nothing else really stood out. I, I did gloss over that, that verse that you cited too. I have definitely had some really similar teachings around that, that are not helpful. But I think for me, my question becomes, as we ask about other letters, what did this mean for the church at Ephesus? And, and doing that work before we try to apply it to our situation is so important. And I'm sure, as is often the case when we get really nitpicky about a passage that we read, is that there's something in this that is prompting us to be defensive something about our own selves that the Spirit's pointing out to us that we need to identify and change. I'm sure there's some of that here. But I want to separate that reality, the real possibilities of the transformation that Scripture can provide from the baggage of the interpretive work that's been done for me in the past that I just cringe at now. Yeah. 
So one of the things that makes interpretation of Ephesians particularly difficult is although it's addressed to the Ephesians like in our Bibles, it's not always addressed to the Ephesians historically. So like when we look back through like some really old manuscripts, uh, for example, one of them refers to what we call the letter of Ephesians, the letter to the Laodiceans. Um, so scholars have wondered whether it's like addressing a particular situation in Ephesus or whether it's just written to the church kind of broadly, whether it's actually mm. like what we would think of as like a Catholic letter. And with that, it's probably right. not written by Paul, although scholars disagree on this all the time. If you want to see Bible scholars like get in a fight, just like at, like ask them about letters that are disputed. And they're like, so this is one of of the disputed letters that scholars have some disagreement right. on. What we're left with is what we can infer from this little bit of text, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, so it's like, okay, we get, now we have to really put on our detective hats and say, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And then we have to think, okay, what might prompt somebody to say that? And we have to work kind of backwards from there. Like I said, we have to do that because we know so little about its audience in Ephesus and whether it's even written to the church of Ephesus at all. Well, that was a short and yet complicated primer about Ephesians. It does. It does help expand the possibilities. And, and, and if there is something here about this being written to the capital C church or written to everybody. It's interesting to see ourselves be invited into that now too. And that might not be our, our starting point, but I think it's reasonable for us to get there. I think the other thing that, that stands out to me is the fact that it, it translates here in the net, the beginning of verse 26 as be angry and do not sin. Not, if you're angry, don't sin. But when you're angry, <laughs> don't sin. And those things are not incompatible. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I've wrestled with anger. Like that's I think been uh, maybe that's not a helpful way of framing it. I've wrestled with my understanding of anger, mm-hmm. and have so for so long tried to resist being angry. Put a lot of effort into ignoring and numbing my anger when I think anger is a helpful indicator of other things that go are going on in our lives. And so for this passage that has been used and weaponized against being angry to actually be rendered in a way to affirm anger and say there are ways to be angry without dehumanizing or harming others, that's where you go. And especially... Hmm. Hmm especially since there seems to be some element of being angry about things that are wrong with how the world is ordered here. You know, speak your, speak truth to your neighbor. The one who steals shouldn't steal anymore. Like there's some sense of righteousness or justice that comes along with this, that I think that anger plays 
an important part in, you know, the noticing that things are not the way they ought to be. I'm thinking of that, that noticing also in context to the way that people speak truth with their neighbor when laying aside falsehoods. Yeah. Like you can, you can take what you see and, and twist it and distort it or emphasize it. Right, such that it's false and it's not speaking the truth anymore. I always think I have one of the weird kind of devotional things that I used to do is I used to read Martin Luther's small catechism every day because it's very short. Such a good Lutheran. (laughs) Yeah, that's like a weird thing. But in my defense, Luther would read his own small catechism every day. So... (laughs) So I'm just, like, just man, putting I that really out. Liked, I, I just really got this one together. That's all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. My two favorite commandments from, from Luther are the fifth, you shouldn't murder. That one seems pretty obvious. Because he says, okay, what does this mean? You're supposed to fear and love God so that we neither harm our neighbor in his or her body. And I'm like, okay, I got that part down. And he says, but rather, help and support them in all of life's needs. And I'm like, ah, crap. I was doing so well. <laughs> but then, and he does this. I was doing great at the not murdering part. <laughs> exactly. He does the same thing with the Eighth Commandment. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It says, we are to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray or slander them. Or destroy their reputations. I'm like, okay. Got it. And he says, instead, we're supposed to come to their defense, speak well of them, speak well of them, and interpret all of their actions in the best possible light. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I go, oh, oh. I like the first part more. I'm glad you're having the same reaction. This is why I had to keep reading it. Because, like, I, I knew that it, at least it had to be in deep down in my soul if I had any hope of doing this. Man, that that framing, though, and there's some of that here. It's like yeah. that positive framing. It's just like... Exactly. It, it seems like there's some mirroring here. You know, don't bear false witness. No, speak the truth with your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Don't steal. Eh, not just that, but like contribute to the well-being of your community. I'm hesitant to say that that way because I don't want it to sound like be productive. But yeah. there's some of that reversal here of it's not just about not doing stuff. It's not just about obeying the commandments and what they say not to do. It's about embracing the way of life that the commandments invite us into instead. And... That is so much harder because it requires us to, rather than to give up something and not do it, it might, it requires us to give up the things that we're doing and embrace something a little different and getting, getting our hands off of our stuff and our comfort is, oh, that's so painful. I don't like how painful it is, but I'm just being honest. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. What you just described is exactly why when I hear this, Luther echoes in the background for me. 
because it's not just don't do this. There's a positive aspect of what you are supposed to do. And it's, yeah. for me, that positive aspect that's a lot harder. It feels like we're right on the edge of what's the point. Is this where you think we were? Is this it's, where we're going? Yeah. Or, this is Okay. We're, I'm ready. I'm I'm real into this right now. So okay. let's go. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we're we're always like dancing on the line. I know. We like going there, and that's good. Yeah. I think that's where the conversation is a little more approachable and meaningful. But anyways, what are you thinking what are you thinking about here? I'm thinking particularly for me about speaking the truth with our neighbor and with what Luther says of interpreting others' actions in the best possible light. And then for the author of Ephesians, whether it's Paul or not, like the reason to do this is because that's what Jesus Christ does and would do and did for us. And now I go, oh, crap. That means means I have to do it. It's like, yeah, and it almost feels like, I mean, I know this is just where the, you know, the crafters of the lectionary decided this passage would start and end. But that feels like an interesting topic sentence. Like, mm. this is what it means to speak the truth with your neighbor. You know, be angry and do not sin. Don't steal. Don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But instead, you know, it's all these things. It's like, don't do this. Don't do this. Instead. Be kind to one another, be compassionate, be forgiving to one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Hmm. And that, that, again, invitation, commandment (laughs) into something (laughs) that is more than just not X. It's just, it's more than not bitterness, not anger. It is instead embracing kindness and compassion and forgiveness embracing god's ways in christ as our own so that we can cultivate the kind of relationships and community that we are to be known by yeah it's not just if i could say it this way it's not just like pruning the parts of of kind of our actions that are negative but about developing and cultivating ones that are positive yeah yeah, which is... And that's, I mean, that's growth, right? You yeah, need, you need yeah. both. You need, you need to identify where the growth is happening in the wrong direction, prune, and see what you can do to encourage growth in the right direction too. I think where this is hard for me right now is not with my literal neighbors, but with, I would, I think, I guess I would call them my virtual neighbors. <laughs> I don't even know if they're real people. Sometimes it feels just like this conception of like this type of person who acts a certain way, would Mm -hmm. vote for a certain candidate, believe certain things. And it's really hard for me to assume that someone with such diametrically opposed ideology, theology, and beliefs can hold those things with good intentions. It's hard for me to separate the outcome from the, from that assumption, giving them that grace. And I do think it is important to say that at a certain point, for myself first, like intent only gets us so far. Like harm done with good intention is still harm done. And in, as there's a shirt that I have that says impact is greater than intent. 
Hmm. And I believe hmm. that to be true. But I do think there are opportunities then for us to think about intent in terms of extending it to others, hmm. to assume that good intent, as you referenced from Luther. That's really hard for me when I'm seeing another post about why XYZ person's not getting a vaccine or why this person is denying that climate change is a really pressing reality in our time when like this summer has shown us that our world is on fire and drowning at the same time more clearly than it i think it has since the last time it was burning and on fire or burning and and flooding at the same time i think that's where good intention can be helpful because if you're not claiming good intention for yourself and instead are giving that to someone else, you can begin to assess their behavior and their actions and your own in an honest light of how is this actually affecting us hmm. rather than they're such a terrible person and there's like, obviously they did this stupid thing because they're a stupid person. But if you say, no, I believe that they actually care about their family and their community I believe that they want wants what they want what's best. Let's see if what they think or what I think is actually what what is best. Because <laughs> yeah. I think when we claim good intentions, we do it as an excuse to not assess the impact of our behavior. But if our good intentions are actually good, we should be willing to pick apart our own actions to say is this actually working for the good of my community is this actually advancing not just the principles of but the character of the kingdom the reign and realm of god in the world and if it's not do i just say well i had good intentions so it's fine if you're actively causing harm those intentions don't erase anything but what they can do is provide you the justification and motivation to adjust because i still have the same good intentions but my good intentions are leading me to modify my behavior because there is more than just good intentions that are required to actually facilitate the kind of community building that I think is talked about in this mm -hmm. passage from Ephesians. So what you're describing, I think, is is a, it's almost like a decentering. It takes kind of us out of the center of the equation, makes us reevaluate what we think, whether our intentions are right. It kind of can kind of remove maybe some of our judgment from people, right? And, and yeah. make us ask different questions about what their intentions might be. Man, I got to try that. Because <laughs> what you described in, in your own experience about people denying climate change and you know, railing against the vaccine, like I, I feel my own anger building up when I read those. <laughs> Yeah, like it caused me to do more than just than just rage. I think this gets overused sometimes, but sometimes, but I wonder if it's like a third way. Like one thing we can do is just like ignore it, and the other is to rage. And this is like a different. This is this is a, what seems to be really a third way of looking at it about asking different questions about the person's assumptions and intentions and our own. Yeah, it's very Anabaptist of you. Yeah, yeah, that was sometimes. Sometimes I tell people I'm Anabaptish. We have a a piece of art 
in our house. It says, whenever you see two options, choose the third. <laughs> and it's and it's intended to to get exactly what you're talking about, that we often trap ourselves into these false dichotomies, these false choices of it is either extremely this way or extremely this way. And whether we do that about things like anger, whether we limit ourselves in things like gender or religious expression or whatever it is, like it is not binary. It's not either I rage or either I completely let it go. There is apparently a way to be angry and not sin. <laughs> and it feels like we need just to figure out what does it take to give up enough of this so that we can embrace that call to imitate God as dearly loved children more fully. Hmm. I think we need to pray about that. I think we do too. So this is a prayer that Luther wrote for in the morning when you wake up. So Jonathan, if you'll pray with me and with Luther. I give thanks to you, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, they have protected me through the night from all harm and danger. I ask that you would also protect me today from sin and all evil, so that my life and actions may please you. Into your hands I commend myself, my body, my soul, and all that is mine. Let your holy angel be with me, so that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we're looking at a really interesting passage from John chapter 6. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. <laughs>